Our heart sponsor for today is the 501c3 nonprofit National Treasures Artists in Residence. We are supporting them by offering an audience-requested masterclass on business plan writing. Over 30 days, you will receive daily emails with micro-tasks broken down over the month that will give you a complete plan. This will help you assemble your ideas, communicate your concept to others, and raise capital. Participants will be eligible for prizes that will help you polish your plan to optimize success. Visit AchievePodcast.com forward slash business plans with an S to register. Our mind sponsor for today is Modern Career. The Modern Career podcast, coaching, and workshops enable you to navigate your career in an ever-changing world and help you live your full potential. Mary Humiston, a former Chief Human Resource Officer of Rolls-Royce, shares insider tips, including insights from leaders and executives from all over the world. Leverage their expertise. They can help you build resilience, overcome obstacles, and feel more fulfilled every day. Visit modern-career.com in order to schedule a session with one of their experienced coaches. And if you use the code ACHIEVE20, you'll get 20% off. On this episode, we have Allison Salmon. Allison was born and raised on the Jersey Shore. She developed a love for television when young and made that a career ambition through college and in launching her career. She started as a production coordinator and worked her way up to being second assistant director on some of the most popular soap operas in the U.S. In the process, she moved to Los Angeles. She had been grappling with lifelong chronic pain that reached such an intolerable level that she was not able to climb stairs. She finally began exploring managing her nutrition better and found this to be the right solution. She left her career in production and is now a nutrition coach, bringing the wisdom which helped her to others who are suffering with similar symptoms. Allison, thank you so much for being on our show. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. It's really <laughs> great. I, I, I love stories of people who change careers um, because I'm oftentimes, and particularly using this podcast as a platform, trying to convince people that if you're not happy, that there are other options. And uh, one doesn't need to commit to what they've spent a significant portion of their life doing if, because it made sense at the time, but it may not make sense for the duration uh, of our experience. So, so I'm always impressed with people who explore these other areas. Mm-hmm. I love to start from the very beginning. Um, I understand you're from the East Coast. So share with us where you grew up. I grew up in New Jersey. I am from, my people are from New York. <laughs> I was born in, in Brooklyn, but I, I, I'm a Jersey girl. I grew up in New Jersey. Whereabouts and, in New Jersey? I spent some time there. Oh yeah, Jersey Shore. So Freehold, oh, okay. where okay. the boss is from, Bruce Springsteen. Sure, Hometown absolutely. is my hometown. He went to my high school. Wow, okay. Yeah. It's a great yeah. connection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's our hometown hero. Um, yeah, so I, I grew up in New Jersey, and I began my career working in New York City. I always, since I was a little girl, I wanted to be in television. I wanted to, I think I originally wanted to be an actor. Right. And then when I was in high school, I auditioned for the play and thought, this is horrible. I don't, no way. Like, I have to say lines yeah. and I have to say them in front of people and And I realized very quickly, I didn't want that. But yet there was still something about in in the back of my head that I still wanted to do that. And so when I was in college, I was like, I'm going to be an anchor on the news. And I auditioned to be an anchor on the TV news station. And then I couldn't read the prompter because I needed (laughs) glasses. And I didn't, I was in denial about that at the time. And I was like, this is horrible. I don't want to have to wear glasses and be on camera. So that ended that and I was like that's it I still want to be in television I feel like there's there's something there but I'm gonna be behind the camera and that began my career gotcha, <laughs> gotcha. I, everything I did in college was all television and I worked in New York City for 16 years I tell you uh it's it's exactly what all entrepreneurs do it's like a process of elimination right yeah. like uh, let me try this no that, this isn't it <laughs> then move to the next thing yeah. Allison, do you recall growing up, what was the show that made you feel like, oh, I want to be in television? As the world turns. 
soap okay. opera. Soap opera. Now, yeah. is that something that your mom was watching or an older sister? Yeah. Okay. My mother watched it. My grandmother watched it. My great-grandmother watched it when it was a 15-minute wow. long show. So I grew up on it, and it was something I was like, I'm going to work on this show. I wanted to be like one of the star characters. She was you know, the, the, sort of like the princess, Lily, who uh, just everybody wanted to be her, and I wanted to be her when I grew up. And and ironically, you know, I spent an entire career working in soap operas. I've worked on almost all of them. That's the one show I never worked on. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And when wow. I moved to Los Angeles, they finally called me and said, hey. And I was like, uh... <laughs> I just moved. Is there any way that you can wait a little while? Because I didn't have like a permanent job here. I was kind of freelancing. They're like, no, we need you now. And I was like, wow, that's so incredible. Where were you a year ago? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, all this time. Mm -hmm. Wow, so fascinating. It, I wondered for a brief moment if it was a situation where you could work on all the other ones because you didn't feel as emotionally tied to it. Uh, and like this was like too close, too precious, too much, too wrapped up in one's dream. Because I've seen that, uh, but no, their timing was just horrible. Their timing was horrible. But when I interned while I was in college, I interned at a show at YNR here in LA, and I went to school in upstate New York, but I came out to LA to intern. And there were actresses auditioning for a new role. And one of them was from as a world turn. And so oh. I was totally fine being around celebrities. And I mean, it was very cool as a college kid. It was really cool. Like, okay, and I'm, you know, walking through the halls of CBS studios, it smells old and just <laughs> awesome. Cause there's so much history there. And so it was right. very, very exciting. Right. But I walked out into the lobby area of our production studios and there was somebody who I knew because she was on my show. And so the thing about soap operas, why fans become so rabid is that you feel like you know them because they're in your house every single day. Oh, so true. Yeah. And so it's different than us. And there's no seasons either. So it's every single day, year round, you're God. getting to know these people, growing old with them. And some of the characters, we literally grew up together. Like Princess Lily, I was telling you, she wasn't a princess, but she <laughs> carried herself like one. <laughs> yes. And was treated like this royal, glorious thing. And she was very lovely. But I walked out and I nearly had a breakdown because I was like, it's Rosanna. Meanwhile, she has a real name. And I, you know, that's one of the things that you learn. And that's one of the things that is really important to learn the difference between an, a character and an actor. And it shows a level of maturity when you can be able to talk to a person and realize they're just a person not who That's plays the character. Right. But this one particular actress, I was like, <gasps> and so my supervisor was like, Allison, come back here. You cannot go out. You cannot, you cannot, you just come back. And it was the only time. And I evolved obviously since then, because I did have a career and I got to know people as people, but that was my like, my yeah, fan moment yeah, yeah, yeah. she was there right there and i lost my mind <laughs> that's great wow well thanks for sharing that you made that very vivid <laughs> and relatable that was really awesome um why did you choose ithaca college because they had a really great television program at the time mm -hmm. where you could be hands-on from day one and i came from a very small high school where some other students i went to college with had TV stations at their high school. We didn't have yeah, that. So this was right. gonna be my first introduction to the technology. And so I needed to hit the ground running and Ithaca College, besides being a small college, small in terms of, I didn't feel like I was gonna be lost where some of the other schools that I went to and looked at you had these huge lecture halls with thousands of people and these were small, I was gonna be in smaller classes with like 50 yeah. people yeah. and you know, 6,000 students at the school at the time. And so I felt like I could get, get around and it just seemed like um, there was a lot of opportunity for me there and it was a good decision. 
Yeah, no, no, that makes actually. sense. Yeah, yeah. my uh, uh, Econ 101 had 300 plus people in it, so uh, it's, it's a different experience. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's I mean, you had very laser focus uh, ambitions uh, yep. because you knew exactly what you wanted to do and where you wanted to to go. So um, yeah, um, that's really great. Um, few of us actually have that at that stage in our lives, and so uh, that's that's great. Now, once you graduated. You moved to New York City and you were working there, uh, you mentioned 16 years. So share with us, how did you get your first job after you graduated? It was actually through my internship. So the internship, nice. I met people there who then referred me said, she's awesome. I, w I wasn't just a freak intern. I really was <laughs> a good intern. I took advantage of it. I took mm. advantage of learning everything and asking questions and getting to know, like there was no task that, well, except when, one of the producers asked me to get her watch fixed over at the Grove and I was bothered by that I, at the farmer's mm -hmm. market. I thought like, that's not what I'm here for, but everything else was amazing. And, you know, I wanted to know what, what do these rundowns mean? And, and uh, I would go and sit in the editing room and come in on my days off and observe the director. And I was just like, this is what I want to do. And so they referred me to I think it was As World Turns in New York, but they still never called. It was Guiding Light, which was a sister show, and they called. And it was just temp work, but that's kind of how it all got started is somebody yeah. referred me and when they couldn't use me, they passed me on to another place. There was a strike going on at the time. And then um, there was an opening eventually, and I eventually got it. So I didn't I didn't graduate and start working right away. It didn't, because it didn't happen magically. I was a little like, but I thought this is what I was supposed to do. And I know, I know this is what I'm supposed to do. And when it didn't happen, I it was very depressed. So I didn't actually start working until September after I graduated and didn't have like a, a permanent job until probably that following January or so. I was just doing temp okay. work yeah, for yeah. them. But Although I hear that's not, really uncommon in broadcasting and production work. That's kind of uh, I norm. didn't know at the time because none of my other friends who were getting jobs, yeah, yeah. that didn't exist. So wow. television entertainment is its own beast. And I didn't realize just how um, I'm blanking on the word forgive me, but just yeah. how much of a, of a foreshadowing that was going to be for yeah, the future. Yeah. Because in a soap opera, again, they there's no seasons. It just- It's continuous, yeah. Until they started getting canceled, they <laughs> just went on forever. And so it was right. a great, stable job in a industry that is not very stable. Uh, and so yeah, I felt very right. fortunate to right. have a great job. It was a great yeah. job yeah. where I got to do fun things every day. It was grueling. It was exhausting. It consumed my life, but it was really fun. I mean, I used to say, look what I get to do. I go to work and we're, we're shooting a, a, a train crash and nobody actually dies. There's a hurricane and everybody is safe. And then these two people are having sex in the shower. How cool is my job? <laughs> this is what I'm doing every day. Nice, <laughs> it's awesome. Nice. Yeah, yeah, okay. fantastic. Well, so when the guiding light um, uh, uh, role became permanent, what what were you doing? What was your specific uh, area? So, an kind of an entry level job in production or at a show as a production coordinator, and that's what gotcha. I was doing. So, being in the production office, sort of being, which is the hub of communicating between the producers and the actors making sure people had their rundowns and their scripts and yep. and being the just the liaison between everybody and so that was a great starter position yeah yeah great and so how long did you stay with guiding light well guiding light wasn't the show i i temp oh at guiding light i actually was hated it there and i okay. begged to go back to so i was at guiding light another world and then one life to live and it was one life to live that i was like please can i stay here I really like it here. And that became my home for the next eight years. Wow, okay. Like one life to live, yeah. 
Got you. So uh, you started out as a production coordinator there and talk mm -hmm. with us about your progression. Yeah, well, so then I joined the sort of, I joined the Directors Guild. And so it's one of those things where you can't join unless you are invited and you can't, mm, nice. you can't work, you can't join unless you have work and you can't get the work unless you're in it. And so it was one of those things where, again, because I'm at a show that wasn't going anywhere for a while, it eventually did get canceled, but it wasn't going anywhere. And so there was opportunity to move up. And so I then became what's a second AD. So responsible, so pay increase, awesome. Got my own office, awesome. And more, ton more responsibility. So we were responsible for timing the show. You know, a show has to, you know, this with podcasting, it has to fit within a certain amount of time. We had commercial breaks. And so we would pre-time scripts and guesstimate how, how we thought the actors would perform these scenes right. and taking into consideration for effects and mood and big sweeping pans of the scenery and all of that. And so we knew if we needed to add more material or cut, cause you don't want to shoot it and then cut it. Cause that's a waste yeah. of time and money, True, money yeah. being the operative word. So that was a huge part of what we did and actor wrangling and making schedules for hair and makeup calls and, and shooting schedules to be, we were, we were the right hand woman and man for the directors and making sure that our day ran smoothly. And so we were responsible for so many things, so many things. So it was kind of a thankless job to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody will say that because we just, everything fell on our shoulders, but uh, great, great learning opportunity. Yeah. So that's a second AD position. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, from what I recall, you worked your way up to being director. Uh, no, I, I oh, okay. never actually was a director. Um, I had, I was waiting. So once things started changing in the industry and the network started tightening their belt and tightening their belt, and we were shooting like 130 pages a day. To put mm. this in perspective, a film shoots about four pages a day. Yeah. And we were shooting exactly. 130 pages a day, meaning... Wow segments from other episodes if that set was up we'd shoot sure, other right. episodes and so our days were super long but we were getting ahead they had to just get it all banked and so that way they can give us time off it eventually became unpaid time off they didn't want to pay the crew they didn't want it so it became oh. a, a harder environment because they whip, 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 go, 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 go. And then we're giving you time off, but we're not going to pay you. But you're off. And people weren't leaving anymore because there was, you could just feel that the vibe was changing. I blame OJ yeah. Simpson, honestly, hmm. because he was the rise of reality TV, in my opinion. Uh that yeah, car chase okay. and everybody was glued yes. to it. And then suddenly Trainwreck TV became the fascination yeah. and it's way cheaper than soap operas. Soap operas were the, the thing. And for decades and decades, I mean, everybody and their mother watched soap operas and you grew up with your stories. And now more, more and more people were, it was a dual income home. So they were not at home, even though we then had DVRs that could record it. And that's what I would do. I would tape it all week and then watch, <laughs> binge watch on, on Sundays while I did my laundry and stuff. And uh, cause I still watched as world turns while I was working at one life to live. Better believe that. <laughs> that's <laughs> devotion. Very impressive. Yes, yes. And even being on the inside, knowing like, but I, so I saw it from a different way, like as a fan and also exactly, as, yeah. as an insider. Yeah. But um, I was waiting in line for quite a long time. I then got a call from California, which is where I live now, by a producer of mine who, I, who hired me at One Life to Live. And when she couldn't hire me permanently, when she was just having me temp, 
she passed me around to other shows because she thought I was so great. She then went to General Hospital out in LA and then called and said, have you ever thought of, actually, I saw her at an award show. That's what it was. Ran into her at an award show. And she said, so have you thought about LA? And I was like, well, I hadn't, but I feel like work is drying up for me. So yes. And that's sort of how that happened. And then ultimately I moved to LA and I've been here for 12 years now. <laughs> wow. Fantastic. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. Well, so how long did you work at uh, General Hospital? Because I know you made a career shift. I did. So I worked at General Hospital for two years. And then all my children moved from New York to LA. Okay. And so I was hired by all my children to help them hit the ground running because they were uh, an old show. I mean, they had a lot of longevity, but they were new in Los Angeles. And so it was just, it, they needed somebody. There was a lot of like feeling their way about a new studio and how are we gonna fit our sets that they had to ship across yeah. the country. How are we going to fit wow. them in the constraints of this? And and just it's a just completely different atmosphere than being in New York City, which was very theater vibe. And in LA, you have traffic. In LA, you just had it's a just a completely different beast. And so they hired me to just because I could just hit the ground running. And plus, I had that New York attitude. I guess you could say. <laughs> One of the things they said to me when I it was the head writer of General Hospital at the time, said to me, you walk too fast, you talk too fast, you do everything too fast. This is LA, slow down. And I was like, should I be insulted by that? Or is that funny? <laughs> so there's a, just a very different vibe. Yeah. And so I was happy to be among my New York people because I didn't feel, I felt a little bit of fish out of water being the girl from New York who was accustomed to doing things like this. And it was very laid back in LA and clicky, I have to say. And so yeah, I felt true. a little bit like eh, this didn't, it didn't feel like home when I came from a show for eight years, yeah. that was my home. I kind of grew up yeah. there in a way. No, that's understandable. Wow. So I was with all my children for uh, a couple of years. And during that time, I then decided to go back to school. But you probably want to ask me why I did that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd really love to ask you why you did that. Why did you do that? Why did you leave all my children? <laughs> so while I was in New York, having this amazing career. So I wasn't living in New York City. So this is an important point only because it was a big part of my pain story. So I was living at home in my parents' house for when I when I began my career. So I was commuting by bus into New York City, 40 miles. So 40 miles could be an hour, depending on what time of day. It can be two hours, depending on what time of day. Sure. Yeah. And during that time, I was struggling with unexplained chronic pain. Mm. And it was becoming increasingly more excruciating. The bus rides were miserable. I eventually bought a condo in Jersey City and moved closer. But I, when I was struggling, not the most, but it began when I was having this long commute. And I started seeing specialists in New York City, specialists in New Jersey, physical therapists, neurologists, you name it, anybody recommended, oh, go see this guy, go see this guy. I went because nobody was able to resolve this pain. I was taking medications. I was going for therapies regularly. It was a pain because when I had a therapy session in New Jersey, or a neurologist appointment in New Jersey, I had to either be late for work or leave early to be able to get there because of traffic. And it was just, so that was on top of, and I know that it was starting to bother my boss at the time because when you have chronic pain, you can't see that. 
It's yeah, not like true. I had big wounds and, and mm. my arm fell off or a cast or something. It's on the inside. And so it looked like I was just a big complainer and trying to get out of work. And that wasn't the case because I was missing family events. I was missing friends. I mean, I was in my 20s and I, my life was consumed with my body hurt, wasn't dating. I wasn't doing anything fun because it, it got to the point where my colleagues had to carry me up and down the stairs. There was a huge, very mm-hmm. steep staircase at our yeah. studio and I couldn't walk stairs wow. and you can't be in New York City and not be able to walk stairs. It's everything is stairs. And even when I was in Jersey, I mean, I had stairs in my condo. So I, I couldn't, I mean, it hurt to get out of bed. Yeah. It, it was my knees, it was my lower back, it was my butt. So sitting, walking were painful. And yet moving, moving was better, but using my knees after a while, they would start to swell. So I'd like have to move around, but I couldn't move around too much because then it would hurt. It was, it was a mess. I was a mess. And that was for several years. I mean, it was really 10 years, but it, it progressively got worse as time went on. And I started missing work and it was just becoming um, just a miserable experience. And so I finally found somebody towards the end of my New York run, who was an alternative practitioner who introduced me to this crazy newfangled concept. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Nutrition. Asim, have you heard of this thing? I mean, it was revolutionary for me. Nobody mm-hmm. talked to me about that ever. Yeah, Not one yeah. of my doctors, they they recommended exploratory surgery, but nobody ever asked me about my oh, diet. Wow. Not once. And so I thought, I don't, I don't feel like I'm supposed to do surgery. Like just this doesn't feel right. And it was a it was it, this practitioner just opened my eyes and it it was almost like night and day because he um just showed me how things were responding in my body and i had very very quick changes and and relief from my pain and so it's just a very very long story short but i was already on this healing journey when i moved out to la and the crew, because I was the person who stood out, I walked too fast, talked too fast, that whole thing. They also noticed that I wasn't eating the food that everybody else was eating. Yeah, right. I wasn't going to the craft service table. I didn't smoke cigarettes. I wasn't drinking the coffee. And they were all looking at me, how come she has all this energy and everybody else has their heads on the table? And I didn't. And so little by little, the crew started asking me questions and they became my unofficial oh. client. Well, they became my clients yeah. before I was officially a health coach. And then I was like, Whoa. I feel like, and then the economy crashed. And so shows started getting canceled. And I was this like, is I 2008. Like I some- yep. I just moved. I just moved in 2008. Oh, wow. And I was like, I need to find something else to do. I moved my cats here. My everything is here. There's people living in my condo. Like I need something. And it started to occur to me that like, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. Because everybody kept asking me like, what are you on? What are you doing? And you know, a huge part of my story that I haven't mentioned is my dad. And I was living at home commuting into the city and my dad one day he used to pick me up from the bus and Mm. one day I was coming home and I got I was getting home early and I was so excited because it was summer and it was light out and it was a nice day and I never get home early and I used to go to the gym with a girlfriend at night and I was like oh I'm gonna get home early this is so awesome and I told her like I'm getting out early and I called my dad from the bus to say I usually gave him like a 10 minute heads up we lived like a mile and a half from the bus and he didn't answer and I was like call him again didn't answer call him again didn't answer I ended up walking home really really pissed off 
because it was a mile and a half, which is not horrible, but it is long. And especially after a long day and I'm schlepping all my stuff and I go home and nobody's there. Oh no. My dad died that day. That's why he didn't pick me up. Oh, I thought he forgot me. So I went home really pissed. Sure. And it turns out that he had severe heart disease that no one knew he had because he looked perfect on the outside. Perfect. Rippling muscles and big tennis player worked out every day. Didn't have any of the lifestyle risk factors that we're told to look for in heart disease. And it turns out he was he was entertaining clients at a tennis and golfing event. He was the only tennis player out of all of his colleagues. And so he was playing. He didn't want to play that day because it was very hot. It was a hazy, hot and humid day. You're from the East Coast. You know what summers are like oh, yeah. in Absolutely. New Jersey and Pennsylvania. You can cut the air with a knife. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's if you have heart disease, especially you shouldn't be playing in that weather. And he normally would play at seven o'clock in the morning, just early before the heat of the day. But this was a work event. And he, it was a 24 year old, he beat the pants off of, cause he wasn't gonna, even a client, he wasn't gonna let the client win. And he just couldn't cool down. And it turns out that, uh, you know, when you, when you dehydrate your blood thickens and he had severe blockages until the blood couldn't get through. And so there wasn't any drama with what we're told is that he just was like just sweating profusely and couldn't cool down, was sitting in the shade, putting wet towels over himself and just drinking a lot of cold water, which he probably should not have been doing, but nobody knew that there was a ticking time bomb. And that was it. I'm so sorry, so, Allison. Thank you. And during this time, I was already seeing neurologists for chronic pain. And so after this happened, and when nobody could figure out what was wrong with me, I thought, this is what my dad, I have early warning signs that we didn't know. And I thought, I'm going to die at 50. Yeah. And so I was, you know, 24, I'm going to die at 50. So when I was 25, I was very depressed because thinking on oh, my life is half over. So it took a long time for me to kind of come around to why did this happen? Why did this happen? Of all the people you line up, a hundred men, he'd be the last guy you would think. And he was such a good guy, such a, such a happy guy. Like everybody always wanted to be around him. Just a, he had such a, just a pleasant energy, fun, loving, young Mm -hmm. energy. And it's like, God, we were just robbed. And it took a long time. So 10 years of physical struggling and also trying to figure out mentally and emotionally, like how can I reconcile this in my head? And so when these guys who were around my dad's age are asking me for help and I'm realizing this is why, and I still have trouble mm. with that. Like he didn't sacrifice himself for sure. me to change my life, but his I could have done it if he were alive because he maybe yeah, he could have yeah. had a heart attack and then changed his diet and then we could have all, you know, but we didn't get that opportunity for whatever reason. And so I just had this epiphany that, okay, I was able to heal myself. I didn't have surgery. I am not taking any of the medications anymore. And I am more active now than I ever was before. I, and they told me, the orthopedic surgeon told me I would probably never be able to run again, never be able to do squats or lunges, but I could walk. And so wow. that's really good. Well, wow. I can run and I can do lunges and squats and with weights and all of that. And I'm as old as I've ever been. <laughs> yes. And stairs are not a problem anymore. You don't need to be carried. Stairs are not a problem. No. <laughs> and so the first day that that happened, the first day when I there was a knock on the door and I was sitting on the chair and I just stood up and went to answer the door. And I went, who just did that? Who just got yeah. up? And instead well, of like, Oh, to go yeah, to the door. Yeah, Cause yeah. that's what it was like. I was very sure. old for a long yeah. time. Yeah. And so, so the um, physician you saw in uh, New York or on the East coast, um, were they uh, an integrative physician? Was he? He wasn't no. a physician. Just an oh. alternative practitioner. Yep. Amazing. 
Wow. Because yeah. now I know that there are places like the Andy Weil Institute at the University mm -hmm. of Arizona where physicians can go for additional yeah. training. And then they referred to a good friend of mine is an integrative physician who went through that. Yeah. And yeah. Um, she talks about how it's like she <laughs> relocated to a, uh, she has an organic farm in New Hampshire. So she does like a lot Amazing. of her own food. And, uh, and she said, um, she's at her clinic, there's always this back and forth of, she wants to spend like half an hour with patients and not give them, um, uh, you know, cholesterol lowering medication. She wants to talk about their diet, how they can fix it uh, naturally. And she yeah. feels like that's one of the biggest problems in our healthcare delivery. Um, Absolutely. The US is that there's never any focus on what we're consuming. No, no. And in fact, dot medical school, they spend between four and seven hours the entire time they're in medical school on nutrition. Hmm. That's insane. Yeah, yeah. Because they're medical doctors. So they use medical interventions. And I feel like, you know, the allopathic way they're, they're so good at fixing us when we're broken. If we have a, you know, acute care, they're so good at it. And that's what they're trained in. But this chronic, which is what I had, which is what so many people have, yeah. this chronic lifestyle disease, they're just not trained in no. at all. There's no medicine that's going to fix it. It's diet and lifestyle modification, which yeah. I had no idea because I thought yeah. I was a healthy person. Right. And that's a, who a lot of my clients are, are people who consider themselves consider themselves to be healthy and doing all the right things and why am I having all of these problems yeah. and so that it just lights me up because I see myself in them because I was that well I have to say also Allison I mean um, uh, we obviously came together through through Chris who's a, a high school buddy of mine um, yeah. just this short interaction with you how animated you are when you're talking about nutrition and yeah. being a health coach versus production, which since you were a little girl, you thought was, you know, your life's calling. There's a stark contrast. You're clearly doing what you need to be doing. <laughs> and so kudos for making that Thank decision uh, to, to, to create this change. So um, it involved some education. You went back for a degree. Was it a master's? Mm -hmm. I went back, so I got certified as a holistic health coach, okay. and then I continued my education in functional medicine, and so I am also certified as a functional nutritionist, wow, so that is my primary role is as a functional nutritionist, and, and that, so there's a distinction between functional, a functional nutritionist and a health coach, so a health coach is someone who would work alongside doctors to sort of help the patient, the client or patient implement whatever plan the doctor has yeah. for them in digestible ways. And super helpful because like you were saying, most doctors don't get to spend the time. And so they'll give a prescription. So even if it's saying, eat these things, don't eat these things. And the client goes, Okay, what, how, like, what am I supposed to do with this? And then they come to me and I'm like, okay, so this is what they're saying. Okay, great. So let's, I then break it down into who that person is. And right. nice. because it's, it's bio-individual. So, and then this is where then my functional training comes in. I don't really care about, so as a health coach, so wearing that hat, I'm, it's, it's a little bit different, but as a functional nutritionist, I don't really care what your diagnosis is because you can have 10 people with the same diagnosis, but the route to resolution will look different mm, because yeah. everybody is unique yeah, and everything you're doing, it all matters. Yeah. So we have to consider all of those things and your unique physiology and what is going on in there. So your diagnosis it's, it's, it's good information to know because it, it give it informs us on, you know, why these symptoms are occurring, but we deal with root cause. So I want to know, I'm not just trying to, cause supplements can also be used 
as an alternative to medicine, but just to dampen a symptom, but that's not what we ultimately want. We might need to mitigate pain so that somebody can sleep or otherwise function. But the ultimate goal is to put out the fire where it started so that there's not little flames that, that keep going. And so um, that's the functional lens through which I look. Nice. Oh, that's fantastic. And we spend a lot of time with people. So that's, that's yeah. another big distinction. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, have you always been on your own or have you worked with other groups or practice groups or? I've pretty much always been on my own. Nice. I have worked with other colleagues in the past, but, and I work with my patients. Well, I don't call them patients, my clients, doctors when appropriate or necessary. So it's not me versus them because I don't claim to, I'm not a doctor. I don't claim to know more than the doctor, but what I do claim is to look at things differently than their doctor or specialist may be looking at because they might have just sort of a myopic view because in Western medicine, we're very segmented. And so they're experts in this one thing and they're not considering the whole body necessarily there's a big shift that's happening right now where doctors are starting to realize that whole body, whole person approach, which is the functional way and integrative is, is taking aspects of all of it because there's good in all of it for sure. And um, what I will sometimes do is propose a question to ask their doctor. Why don't you ask them about this? Or like, I noticed this on your labs, ask them, you know, can we run this test? And just say, I'm working with a nutritionist and you know, sometimes I'll write to them, hi, I understand you're doing this. It's awesome. I wanna see if I can support as well. I'm curious to know what you thought about her hormone levels. So in no way do I think I know more than them but I'm just looking at it differently. And so I sort of advocate for my clients. Nice. That's great. And um, you've mostly found them through referrals and social media. You mentioned Facebook earlier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of my clients have come from social media and then referrals through there. Yeah. Nice, nice. okay. And um, who would be an ideal client for you, Allison? An ideal client for me is a woman or a man who consider the, considers themselves to be healthy, health conscious, yet they are struggling with complex issues like weight. I include that in complex because we've been told that weight is about calories in, calories out, and that's just not true. There are so many other issues going on. And so in my opinion, weight is a side effect of another underlying, it's a downstream effect of some upstream issue that needs to mm. get resolved. So things like weight, autoimmune conditions. So they're, they're struggling with a lot of symptoms, chronic pain that aren't necessarily explained. They've tried everything. They are doing all of the right things. And they're also feeling like there's something missing they either feel misunderstood by their doctor or they just feel like I know that there's something else here. And so those are the people that I love to work with to help demystify that and, and find the missing piece of the puzzle. That's kind of how I felt nice. until I had yeah. this like Eureka moment. <laughs> and that's what I aim to do for other people. And, you know, it's funny, the guy who helped me when I met him, he said, hi, Allison, my name is Andy. I hope to never see you again. <laughs> and I was like, that's awesome. Because everybody yeah. else I was seeing was like, come back next week, come back next week. And I wasn't getting any relief. Wow. And I'm not saying that, that my problem was solved in one session, because it wasn't. It, it did take the better part of a year, but I notice changes immediately. And that's what I do with yes. my clients as well. They should, they should start to, if not in the first week, they should see a remarkable shift within the first six weeks, you know, if not 
but usually, you know, right away. And because I, what I want is for them to have their amazing transformation and then go call her. She <laughs> helped me do this. Yeah. She helped me yeah, do this and not have them be my client forever. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. That's so great. Mm -hmm. So you've been doing this about 10 years now? Uh, I have been, I went back to school in 2011. Okay. So um, under under 10 years. Gotcha. I've been in practice yeah. seven years, so. Gotcha. And uh, you begun uh, writing on the subject matter. Uh, you have uh, your co-author on a book. Yes, I'm co-author. Yes, I am co-author co -author of a book called Teacher Expertise that just launched this end of summer, which okay. is very exciting. That's great. And Congrats on that. Thank you. Yeah, it was a multiple Amazon bestseller, international home-based business, women business. It hit many bestseller lists, so it was very cool. That's great. Well done. Cool. That's yeah. awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, what's on the horizon? What would you like to? Uh, yeah, where do you foresee? Would you like to take your business? What What are your ambitions? Share with us about that. Well, part of what I was talking about in teacher expertise is how I want to leverage my business, what I'm doing. So, one of the things I also didn't mention, a big life change is. Last year I had a baby <laughs> and that's a big life change. And it's something, you know, I spent my twenties suffering, my thirties changing my career and going back to school. And then I was like, Hey, you're 40. <laughs> if you want to do this, it's, you got to do this. And so that's another thing that I'm really passionate about is helping women with fertility because a lot of women think that, well, we're told at 35 that you're old, that you're geriatric. Yeah, yeah. And I was considered geriatric. And I had an ideal pregnancy and everything was just perfect. And that can happen too. It wasn't anything, you know, if you look at my health history, you wouldn't think that I would be able to do that. But I literally transformed my body over the past several years. So you can sort of reverse aging in a way and, and get yourself, get your body functioning optimally. And so that's a huge passion of mine and being able to serve more people. And so I've been running online group programs oh, so nice. that I can serve more people rather than just one-on-one, -on -one, which I love one-on-one because -on -one you really get to know somebody, but also with having my little feller I want to be able to spend time with him. I waited a long time to have him. Sure. So I want to spend time with him and also have this business. And so uh, having group programs. So I have one called Empowered Weight Loss, which is which teaches you how to how your body can release weight seemingly effortlessly, because again, it's a side effect. And so what happens is all these other symptoms start to clear up. Oh, and by the way, you're losing weight. That's not going to come back right. because you're not dieting. It's not deprivation based or calorie restriction based at all. I'd love to eat. And so that's a big thing that I'm doing. And I have a program that is launching. It's sort of a to help people get through the holiday season. Oh, smart. Yeah. So it's uh, just a little like a booster, a booster, because yeah. this is just the most bizarre 2020 season ever. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. No, it's, it's so yeah. unique. Wow. Those so all sounds like coming up in. Yeah. Really exciting programs you have on the horizon. That's great. Yeah. And I just, I love how you're really motivated and driven to help as many people as possible. That's really coming through and how you're describing uh, your mission and what you're about. If any of your listeners would like to join in the conversation, if they have any questions, if they have these niggling symptoms, they're like, ah, that's me. I, I, here's the thing especially for successful entrepreneurial people, we're so driven 
that we put ourselves last. And that's sort of, I think, why my pain was allowed to persist for so long because I was in my dream career in television. I was in it, I was doing it. And so, and I was also in the culture of eating the crap. <laughs> and it just was, was part of it. it we weren't, you know, I wasn't in front of the camera. And so nobody really cares about when you're behind the camera, what you look like or how you eat, it's, you know, in front, you get to go to the gym and you get to have the food delivered to you and, you know, all that. But so I think a lot of us who are really driven career-wise, we can be neglectful of ourselves unintentionally. It's completely unconscious, but there are little things and I'm, I'm, I, a lot of my clients are business owners. I have a client who runs a women-owned law firm that she's won awards for and she little things that I'm doing with her that are completely changing her life that she never would have thought but because she works so much she's not thinking of of how all these little things accumulate uh, cumulatively help her body to function better so if that is you if you if that resonates with you come join our Facebook group where it's called the Healthy Without Struggle. It's the Healthy Without Struggle community. And so it's for people who say, yeah, I'm healthy, but I have acid reflux, but I have these, this joint pains, but I have this weight around the middle that I can't lose. And so we all have something and it's, little things that you might not realize you could be doing or maybe shouldn't be doing that can actually just your body wants to heal for you it wants to work for you we just it's our job to give it the tools so that it can heal itself it's it's a remarkable your body is a remarkable high performance machine and we drive it into the ground <laughs> yeah we have a tendency especially entrepreneurs yeah, yeah it tends to be the last thing we think about yeah. yeah. Well, that's so great. Thank you so much for your all that you're doing. It's a, it's a great service you're providing. You're helping a lot of people out and it comes from a place of personal experience. So it's so the authenticity really comes through as well. So uh, it's really great. And uh, I was already thinking of a handful of people to uh, to refer your way. So um we'll awesome. keep the, Happy to talk uh, to that support mm -hmm. coming yeah absolutely thank you again yeah. allison really appreciate it you're welcome thank you this is really fun